Okay. Um, so um, okay. So this is hopefully the um, the last in this series for now. But I'm gonna say up front that I don't um, I don't have I don't have it I don't have it done yet. So it's always possible that uh, there's room for other share. Um, but I'm hoping that I'm gonna move to writing at the end of this. And what I want to do in this share is sum up, take you through. Um, take you, we, we went last time through the issues. I'll go through that again briefly. Um, I want to talk about what I perceive as the current condition of halakha, um, which really there, there are only um, three people who have really made an effort to engage in the conversation around triage in the, um, in the existing environment. Those are uh, Rabbi Asher Weiss, Rabbi Herschel Schachter, and Rabbi Jason Wiener. So I'll talk about where they are, what a consensus is, where there's where there are gaps, and then I'll talk about where I am. Um, but we'll see that where I am isn't quite isn't quite there yet, um, and we'll see if we can get me see if we can get me to where I want to be uh, to the point where I can actually participate in the conversation. Other than uh, I guess we'll talk about briefly, you know, where I have participated in the conversation is by sending notes to the uh, other three public participants, uh, with sometimes influence and sometimes not. Uh, okay. So here, so we talked last time that the cases we're addressing are um, the cases we're we're addressing uh, time-wise are if the patients show up show up at the same time, if the patients show up one after the other, but you haven't done anything yet, uh, if the patient if the patients show up one after the other and we're still waiting for the second patient, but we know who it is, if the patients show up one after the other and we're waiting for a second patient, we don't know who that is. We just know statistically that that person is very likely to show up, just statistically. I don't care about the name. Um, and then um, places where, where we, the first patient is here and has been ventilated, and now the second patient um, has actually arrived, right? Those are our five basic uh, circumstances. And they, in, they, um, they relate to the, uh, they interrelate with the question of what conditions the patients are in. And so these are, right, these are pairs of relative conditions. The patients can be more or less likely to die without ventilation, more or less likely to survive with ventilation, have a greater or lesser life, life expectancy with ventilation um, past just uh, mere survival. Um, they can have, they can be described, one of them can have chayesha and one of them can have chayeolam. One of them can be a gosis, one of them can be a non-gosis. One of them can be a trefa, one of them can be a not trefa. Um, probably a gosis can't have more than a chayesha. Uh, other than that, all the categories can probably interrelate. All right, and the issues I talked about last time, right, 17 questions uh, that, that should be addressed in the context of the sugya, and this is by, I would say this is by no means an exhaustive list, but these are the questions I think that you can't, um, you can't really get to the end unless, unless you've addressed each of these. There are other questions you're certainly entitled to address. I have left out uh, any number of important texts. Uh, let's say, for example, I have utterly ignored the, the um, story of Rabbi Chinid ben Tradion. I only briefly mentioned the story of Ula, right, we're gonna, but I think these are what you have to address. One is, does the mission at the end of Horiot, uh, which lists priority in, in terms of theoretically, I mean, it says in, um, it says it says X quote on the Y, and it seems to be in the context of Hatzalah, um, depending on what Hatzalah means, does it have any effect on priority in our cases? Uh, why or why not? Um, why or when can't you kill someone else actively or passively to save your own life? Um, when, why or when can you decide that your life um, that your life does precede your brothers, which seems to be in, you know, has to be somehow um, be fitted together with the, with the answer to question two. Why and when must one kill a fetus to save his mother? 
may one kill a trefa to save a shalem, may one steal to save a life, um, even if the theft cannot be repaid. Do patients who have begun treatment acquire a right to continue treatment? Is the whole category of a sacred mitzvah for turban mitzvah relevant in terms of doctors moving from one patient to another? Is the category cholel um, halachically relevant today at all? Or do we just say, you know, right, is it relevant to triage at all, I should say? Uh, to, relevant today? Uh, right, so is it relevant today? Because you can argue that communication has made cholel a useless category. Or even if it is relevant, so maybe just who says it's relevant to the case of triage? Um, okay. Um, when can or should actuarial considerations that raise those are considerations that are only played out statistically but without relevance to particular person people you have any kind of relationship with or even people who don't theor- right who um, theoretically uh right who you only you only predict their existence theoretically right does that matter halachic- does that matter halachically in context of pikuach nefesh or not um, is removal of a ventilator killing if the patient will probably or possibly Die immediately within Chayesha with first without first um, recovering, right? Is that considered killing? Uh, when and why is Hasarat Monea permitted? Is death ever better than life for a patient? And how would you diagnose that? And what halachic implications does it have for death to be better than life? Uh, how do we define the terms Chayesha Goseis and Trefa? Uh, how much halachic confidence should we have in medical prognoses of life expectancy? Uh, what degree of deference may or must one show to hospital policy for what reasons? And with regard to all these questions, Right? Are the rules for healthcare professionals different than for everyone else? If yes, when and why? Okay, so those are our 17 questions. Let's move on to what I think the default psaq is. So here's here's what I think the condition of halacha is. The only criteria that matter um, in terms of priorities among among people are degree of risk and prognosis. Okay, this is the position of Shlomo Zalman Arbach articulated. Uh, he based it on the Primagadim articulated one of these categories, which was degree of risk. Um, but so far as I can tell, nobody has disagreed with Shlomo Zalman Arbach. Rav Asher Weiss said this explicitly. Rav Herschel Schechter said this explicitly. Um, we have essentially accepted modernity's rejection of the relevance of Horio. Right? So nobody thinks that Horio has immediate practical, um, ex- uh, practical existence nowadays. Whether that is an internally reached halachic conclusion or a force majeure conclusion that if you're writing for us, if you want to be part of a conversation, you can't talk about those, those sorts of distinctions. That is, um, that is not clear, but it is clear that halacha, halacha nobody, right, nobody thinks it matters. Uh, I think that the consensus halacha as we have is that you can never remove ventilators. Uh, this despite Rabbi Wiener's argument that we should be able to. Uh, so the argument can never remove ventilators follows that Sitzeliezer and Shevet Levi against Rizal Nechemi Goldberg, against, um, I'm blanking on who, against Rabbi Nasha Klein, and possibly against Roshlom Zalman Arbach, depending on how you read that phrase about Kvar Lelotuel or not. Uh, now here's the thing. I think that's the halachic consensus. Rabbi Wiener has proposed that we should say something else, similar to Rizal Nechemi Goldberg, but I don't think that anybody has said that is the halacha. He doesn't argue that's halacha. He's suggested as a proposal that other rabbis might adopt. Uh, the challenge is, of course, that um, halacha has absolutely no impact on what happens in that regard. Um, so when Rav Asher Weiss was asked this question about what doctors should do if the hospital regulations require transferring ventilators, he said, you know, despite amazingly interesting and uh, bold rhetoric in Rabbi Weiss's video, not the, the, the video, which I, sh- I think I, I think I showed the link to it once earlier. I, sh- I should reclaim it. 
the video of his conversation through Aguda with uh, or is largely conversation uh, answering pre preset questions um, from doctors on the video. He was very clear that Halakha A largely agrees with the moral um, conceptions of modernity. Right? He specifically said there are people who want to set up gaps between Halakha and and uh, modern medical ethics, but I don't think there are very many. Uh, and he also said um, something that you know, that uh, I articulated early and got a lot of pushback that the the communal interest we have in allowing doctors to participate in the medical profession is itself a halachic value. He argued in a, in a you know in a loose sense that enabling orthodox doctors to participate in the healthcare system is itself a fulfillment of the mitzvah of pikuach nefesh and therefore has halachic weight that enables you to override basically all their all other halachot. Very you know a very radical claim. Despite all that, when it came down to it, and they asked him about removing ventilators in accordance with uh, hospital with hospital policy in particular cases, he said uh, painfully. He said, "I think the only thing you could do then is recuse." So I think that's the consensus halacha as we have it right now, um, which doesn't mean that it, you know that it's set in stone. It's just what it is. Uh, okay, I think that basically everybody's agreed that you can deny treatment to somebody defined as chayisha if you anticipate chayolam patients coming in. That, that I think that the consensus right now is against the shevet halevi. The, the term chayesha'a has not been well defined in that context. Um, but essentially, nobody takes the, except for the Shevet Alevi, which I think, was, I think it has not, has not been followed, nobody takes the position that we really take a rigid kolela fanenu principle or that, um, or that we take a principle that you first come, first serve. Right? Nobody, right? Essentially, everybody has said that if, that we can treat two patients as simultaneous so long as when the first patient arrives, we have very good reason to anticipate the second. And that, um, and that, if, we, and that if we see the patients as being present at the same time, we're allowed to choose chaye olam over chaye uh, over in addition to risk and prognosis. So it's not really true. I should say that, you know, that this is another criteria in addition to risk and prognosis. Um, okay. Because prognosis is about odds as opposed to as, as opposed to a specific outcome. Um, okay, can you add a second patient to ventilator if the overall patient survival index increases? Um, so that's a new question. Nobody had really ever um, addressed that question of that question before. Both Rav Asher Weiss and Rav Herschel Schachter have said have said clearly that they believe you can, even though adding the second patient in their their assumption is lowers the odds of survival of the first patient. So that's a very interesting, um, it's a very interesting issue. That um, that it's a new question, and yet it seems right now that there is a um, there is a consensus. Although my bet would be that the Shevet Alevi would have said no. Okay. Finally, um, you can you can follow the hospital protocol for non-ventilation of a trefa, very narrowly defined trefa, or chayesha, which is ambiguously defined patients. It seems that people think you can um, you can do that, but that that it's not clear whether that's we say that's what the halacha is or more likely that's the kind of thing you don't have to you're right you don't have to fight for um, and uh, right since you're just not doing something so it doesn't require recusal you just don't do it I think that's the way it comes up okay those are the positions that I think are fairly consensus although I'm thinking about whether the whether I really want the word tra the the trefa thing on there I'm not sure that's been addressed uh, really well um, because narrow a narrowly defined trefa almost never exists really, uh, you know, it's very specific medical conditions. Uh, it's not really relevant to COVID 
So probably, so I'm not sure that, that I really need that. Okay, what do we call Chidusha, meaning positions addressed by... Uh, yes. yes, sir. Um, explain the difference between the third point and the and the fifth point. Um, yeah, that's a good question. Is there what do I think by the? Um, so one is that you yourself can do it, and the other is following a following a, following a hospital uh, following a hospital protocol uh, just for the sake of following a hospital protocol, even if it wouldn't meet halachic halachic criteria of three. I think that's what I, that's that's the way I wanted to set it up. All right. Suppose it's not, this is this is a this is in allowing you to follow a protocol as opposed to a, as opposed to a proactive statement. Okay, good. That's also it's a good catch though. I need to, I, I should put them together and be more precise. Thank you. Okay, uh, what I see is chidushim by the contemporary poskim. Um, so Reversal Schachter, it seems to me what he means to say is that if you have a Chayesha patient who's already attached to a ventilator, and you have a Chayolam patient waiting, whatever, however waiting is defined, I think what he would, he would, he would agree would be in statistically waiting. Um, so you can, you can simply stop treating them with anything but the things needed for ventilation. Now, that's what it sounds like he's saying. Um, on the other hand, the actual language he says is put a DN, put it, is put a DN, you can put a DNR order on the patient. So DNR order is very different than saying we're not going to treat new, uh, any, new, any new condition. Uh, the logic he provides seems very much about, of, right, seems very much saying that, well, you have two chiyav hatsala, and you're allowed to prioritize the chiyav hatsala of the patient who is chayi olam over the chiyav hatsala over the patient who is chayi but you can't kill the patient as chayi so now, right? So you have to keep the ventilator on, but you don't have to do anything else that would just be defined as um, as as failing to treat. That's what it sounds like he's saying. Uh, it's a very, but he says don't take a dinar. So I'm going to show you actually his um, right. This for this, I think, has stayed constant in uh, in the both versions of his. Um, but he says v'cheni, right? Also seems. Uh, so I need to share. Um, all right. Uh, Right? So he sets up this example of a very, very elderly uh, person and a very, very young person. We'll get back to that in a moment. And he says, if they already attached the extremely elderly person to a ventilator, and then they realize that it's not, a, right, it's not worth it because many younger people will show up soon. It's proper for the Rofim to put a DNR order on this patient. Why? Because it's in terms of starting new kinds of treatment, in terms of the sick person rather than treating the younger people. This is already as if they, right, for new treatments, it's as if they showed up simultaneously. And we should, and we should, uh, prioritize the treatment of the young, of the young healthy people. Because there's no active killing, just a failure to fulfill and you can't treat them all. So this seems to me a, you know, a fundamentally incoherent. Right? DNR orders are failures to treat in specific circumstances, not failure to treat, not failure to treat. Period. 
someone correct me if I'm wrong, right? The DNRs are the patient is dying, right? So I I I don't know. I think this is um, I think this is I think the logic leads to denying new treatment. The words say DNR. I don't have any way of reconciling them. Uh, I have not pointed this out, so I don't know. Yeah, I'm surprised that no one else has. Uh, I have to go back and look at Alan Jofkowitz's review on that in tradition. I don't think he mentioned that. Okay, so you'll see it says on my notes, express my discomfort. My discomfort is not because of the incoherence. Uh, my discomfort is, uh, and this, you, know, you can say it comes from a very clear Kantian place. What we're saying is that here's a patient. It's not that we're choosing to save one patient or another really, or, right, because we're not, there's no conflict between the, treat, the new treatment we're going to provide the, the elderly person and the new treatment we're going to provide the, um, the younger person. What we want is we want the elderly patient to die as rapidly as possible so we can treat the younger patient. So that violates my, you know, that violates my ontological principle, my Kantian principle, whatever you want to call it, uh, right? And it's a precise formulation because you want one patient to die for the sake of another patient, right? That seems to, um, right? That seems, to, that seems to me to be the, um, to be the, right? To be, to be the, um, the issue here the that I'm really not comfortable on. And so we can say, you know, what the test case would be, what happens if I want the first patient to die, not because I need the ventilator, but because I need their heart, right? So we say, okay, we're going to stop treating this patient so that we can, right? So if it's if you say that it's in the best interest of the first patient to die anyway, um, okay, right? So that I can, right, that we could talk about that. And I, I use that in brain death. But if it's not in the best, and this patient still has a chance of survival, just a lower chance of survival. And what we're saying is we want you to die because you're you're using up a resource that another patient could use. Not we're right. It's not true that we're choosing, uh, right? It, that we're choosing to distribute new resources differently because there's no conflict in terms of the resources we would give this patient. Now we're denying them resource resource B because we want to get a hold of resource A. So I, I find this um, both. I say the language is the, the language is incoherent. Uh, I think Ellen wrote people use it sloppily. What it really wants is a do not treat order as opposed to a DNR order, right? That's really, that's really what he wanted to say, I think. But it's tough to know. I, I should probably send, a, um, send, right, send an inquiry. Um, yeah, so Ellen's right that patients often become a trefa at some point, right? but I don't know exactly at what point because trefas were defined as punctures, right? So, right, so even, you know, even organ failure shouldn't really, right, chemical organ failure doesn't make you a, Technical trefa narrowly defined. So I'm very uncomfortable with it. Okay, this is Rashefter's Kiddush in that regard. Um, I know why he said it, right? He said it because he's trying, I assume, because he's trying to, to find a bridge between what the doctors are saying. You know, he has, everyone has an, has an intuitive uh, lean towards let's save as many people as possible. And if you tell people poskening this way will cause many more people to die than would have to if you didn't poskening that way, it makes you very uncomfortable. Um, but this one makes me. Very, very uncomfortable. Okay, but but I, you know, I can't not present it to you. Um, okay. Um, okay. Another chiddush that comes up, right, which is in the Shulos and Hagos from Rav Zilberstein, is okay. Instead of Rashechter's idea of let's avoid of let's avoid new treatment, let's do something even cleverer. Let's deliberately put the respirator on a timer so that we will have the opportunity to treat the respirator as a failure to start new treatment as opposed to as a removal of treatment. Um, so I mentioned to you that 
some people find that a really clever idea. Um, as I know this in the context of um, that Dr. Steinberg suggested it as a way of resolving you know, not COVID issues, but issues of general long-term long -term use by patients of, uh, of complicated machines you know, at, the end of, at end of life situations. And some people say, oh, look, that's a really cool way of resolving the issue. And I really, really don't like it. Um, you know, sometimes I think I've referred to Shabbos clock morality, uh, right, where you, right, you know, where all, it seems to be like this is a classic instance that all you care about is technicalities and you're utterly ignoring the moral issue. Um, I, I really, really don't like it. And it, I think at some point I need to write a, uh, a full explanation for myself of what the discomfort is. Um, is the discomfort, you know, because it focuses so utterly on on means and uh, and you know and the the ends are are morally irrelevant, um, or is it because you're deliberately setting up a situation? You know, it's because you're deliberately creating the situation where this will happen. It's not a natural, it's not a natural condition that that uh, that you have the option right. You're deliberately creating a situation where you'll be right, where you'll be able to say it. So artificially creating it makes it worse. Okay, it's, right. But that's uh, that's the Shuvah van Hagot's chiddush. Um, um, right, you have Rav Nasha Klein saying that you can remove the ventilator if death is better than life for a patient and death will not ensue immediately. And that Rav Zalman Chemi Goldberg seemed to suggest a similar idea, perhaps. Um, so that's really that's really a core question, right? Is the intuition of most decisors seems to be that removing the ventilator, if it inevitably causes death, uh, is killing. Uh, since Eliezer's phrase, phrasing is, if the process of di of dying begins immediately. The moment the ventilator is removed, um, right then, it, right then it's considered um, killing. But the um, right, and that's why people don't ever allow removal of ventilators. But if you simply find a way to say that removal of ventilators is not killing, period, uh, then you are um, right. Then you, you're in a very different place, and that's what Nasha Klein um, suggests. And it always disturbs me when my moral instincts have even sympathy with Ramashra Klein sometimes. But this this is one of those uh, one of those cases where I understand, you know, where it's if I if I could convince myself that would right that would um, that would go a long way, but I'm not convinced. As we'll we'll see. Um, okay. Um, yeah, I can't put two two sheets on the same on, on at the same time, but I'll try and, and go back to those questions later. Um, okay. Um, and the final question is um, right. The most radical the most radical position is that you can remove the ventilator. Whenever that improves actuarial results, right, which is the extreme version, um, right? If you say that removal of ventilators is always just failure to save, it's 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 a violation of the mode and not killing, or if death will not ensue immediately, so then you really shouldn't need the criteria of death is better than life for patients. You should just um, allow the whatever criteria you allow for choosing between two simultaneous patients. Um, and so, Rosalind Femi Goldberg had a very expansive definition of which kinds of patient you could push aside for others. Uh, Rabbi Jason Wiener wanted to take that even further and argue that uh, since removal of ventilators only failure to save, when you're choosing, when it's just, when you're just choosing among uh, who to save, then really you can use purely, um, purely consequentialist criteria. You don't even need the categories like Chayesha and Chayolam. You can just you know, move ventilators left and right as if, um, yeah, in, order, in order to in order to maximize um, in order to maximize life, so that's a, that's a very big finish, uh, and I I don't I don't think anyone but Rosalman Nehemiah Goldberg says anything even close to that, 
uh, I have been arguing with Rabbi Wiener, and uh, you know, I persuaded him that the, the Sitz Eliezer uh, actually very much did not take that position. And um, I'm hoping to persuade him that uh, no one Rosam al did really at all. Uh, okay, that's where everyone else is. Uh, okay, um, so I'm going to go now to, um, to um, let's see, which way to do it? I think rather than, I'll, 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 you should keep the 17 questions in mind again, so I'll put that on screen again quickly so you can review those. Um, I'm sorry I didn't make them downloadable, but they'll be downloadable after this year. Uh, but I think what I'll do is I will present where I am um, first, and then uh, we can look, which way should I do it? I think it's better to present where I am first, and then, we'll, if, then if we have time, I'll go back and through my answers to all 17. Uh, to all 17 questions. Um, hmm. um, oh, you know what? Uh, don't do what I said. Though. Okay. Here are my here are my answers to the 17 questions. Let's do it that way first. It makes more sense. Okay. So does the mission at the end of Horeos have any effect on priority in our cases? So my argument is everyone admits it has, just about everybody admits it has no direct effect, but some people use it as evidence that there is no a priori principle of endofenefesh in the context of lotamol damreyecha. Okay, right. That right. That some people think that okay, you can't push us, you can't kill to save a life. That's that's what we say, Ma'achazit. But now we have a pasuk, right? And that pasuk says that we don't. You know that when it comes to life saving, right? All that that whole that whole notion just disappears. And life saving, we can make whatever distinctions we find useful. Um, my argument is that the reason that everybody rejects it in, in practice, no matter what their formal rationale is. Is that everybody uh, accepts at least you know, my ontological principle? And I have to remember what I meant by the participation principle. It made so much sense to me when I said it last night. Um, I have to think about that again. Wow. Okay. Um, every, I think everyone basically accepts the uh, accepts the idea that, that you can't act in a way that causes some people to right, that, that seems to suggest that some people have more ontological value um, than uh, than others. Okay. Number two. Uh, why can't you, uh, what, can you kill someone else actively or passively to save your own life? Does that apply, apply equally to choosing between two unrelated pe people as a third party? And can your relationship to the parties matter? What if it's your parent, right? What if it's your teacher? What if it's your friend? Um, so the answer is you can never kill someone else. If it's defined as killing, whether it's active or passive, uh, the, only, the only time you can ever kill somebody is by introducing the category of rodev, um, right? Uh, that means I rule like the Ramam against Tosfot. Uh, so you can't, passively uh, allow, um, kill, you can't passively kill someone else to save your own life, right? That's under Saber Chaim. This also means that a rule like the Nodim Hudu against the Minchas Finuch, that you can't kill a Trefa to save a Shalem. Um, and the answer is, does this apply equally? Sorry, this should have been, uh, this should have been yes. It applies equally to choosing between unrelated people as a, uh, as, uh, as a third party and your relationship to parties cannot matter. Okay, this is challenging. The challenging cases are: what about abortion in cases to save the life in cases that can't plausibly be signed as rodeos? So really, what about abortion to save the life of the mother? Uh, what about abortion to save the mother in cases that aren't, can't plausibly be defined as rodeos? Um, so that's a um, right. That's a challenging question. We talked about chemotherapy. Um, so the question. Oh, I see. Uh, thank you, thank you, Sarah. I forgot to switch back. That's what you meant. Um, my fault. Okay, here we are again. Okay, <laughs> thank you. My fault. Um, 
so the um, yeah, so child, so what about chemotherapy to right, the mother has cancer, but it will kill the fetus. So you can't call the fetus a rudif in that case, I think. So that's a really good challenge case. And then, right, so I said we, we create a, you know, a sort of Rube Goldberg um, machine to try and reconcile halakha with, the, um, with our fundamental ethical principle to get the outcomes to be in accordance with ethics, which no single principle can do. So that's always going to be challenge, challenging because so the mechanism we set up to allow abortion is to call the abortion case rodev, but that expands the notion of rodev to include non-guilty parties if we expand the, and the mechanism that we use to allow abortion is to say that we allow, although we don't allow retzicha of innocent rodfim, we allow shfichut damim of innocent rodfim, and that's why it applies to a fetus, but wouldn't apply to an ordinary adult. But a trefa is also only shfichut damim, just like abortion. So there are going to be cases where the halacha still doesn't seem to match your instinct if you think there should be no difference between a trefa and a shalim. Okay, that's a weakness. Yeah, we can um, in the in in the framework. Um, okay. Could, uh, could, yes, I agree. Yes, I'm, I'm not using the animal definition. Whatever the definition of trait is. Yes. Oh no, no. Uh, uh, couldn't you make a distinction between a fetus pre-viability and post-viability? Yeah, we're going to get there. Oh, Very okay. good. We're going to get there. Um, okay. Um, fine. Uh, okay. When when can you decide that your life precedes your brothers, right? Your fellows, with better translation. Um, does this apply equally to choosing between two unrelated people as a, as a third party? Can your relationship to the parties matter, right? So this is the same question as above, but asked in the context of life-saving, as opposed to asked in the context of, of killing. Um, so the answer is, um, right, the answer, the answer is that, sorry, so you can, when, you're, when, when the case is defined as life-saving, it shouldn't make a difference if you're a third party, probably, I really wonder in the context of life saving. So this is really a challenging question. Whether there there is a technical argument that one could uh, there's a technical argument that one could make that says that well what happens if you have an additional chiyav towards that party like kibud abayim? So maybe if you have an additional chiyav towards that party, you are allowed to prioritize them in life saving. Um, I really don't know um, in the end where where the, where that should come out. Uh, I guess what I'm reacting against. Uh, is a story tell that one of my one of my first class of Maimonides, uh, my first year, I was I I had a seventh grade class. That was a mistake. It never happened again. Uh, and uh, it, it was that great class that I completely failed to communicate with. Uh, I could not construct sentences they could understand. And the one day that we really communicated was I decided one day to test a Dennis Prager thesis. Uh, Dennis Prager had argued that the reason we should support religious education is that if uh, without religious education, nobody will ever understand that if a random stranger is drowning at the same time your dog is drowning, you have to save the stranger rather than your dog because of the value of human life is a Salam Elohim. That can only come through a religious education and not through a um, and not through any kind of secular education. So I tried it on that class of Imanity students and they voted I think 13 to two for the dog. Um, and had a uh, very, very, these are so years later, those students were still asking me, I still understand why is it that you should choose, that you should save the stranger rather than, you should save the stranger rather than the dog. Um, so that, you know, I understand that allowing relationship to matter is a very dangerous, is a very dangerous thing. Um, and yet I can't, you know, I, I share, you know, I understand their intuition. I just don't extend it to dogs. And maybe that's because I, I don't have pets. Um, so figuring out how you do that is a, 
is it shall I say there is a technical way to do it right in terms of give it um I would rather not, but I'm not sure that I can rule it out of hand. Uh, okay, you can kill a fetus to save his mother because the fetus is a rodate. Um, you can't kill a trefa to save a shalem unless the unless the trefa is a rodate. Um, may you steal to save your own life? Yes. Um, somebody else's life? I think you must steal to save someone else's life, even if the theft cannot be repaid. Yes. So I'm taking a very strong position on the. Uh, right, whether whether you whether you can matzil acherim b'mamon b'mamon I don't think that patients acquire right to continue treatment. I don't think osik mitzvah patur mitzvah is relevant. Uh, I uh, I think that the category of cholol is relevant uh, in our is relevant generally nowadays and possibly relevant to uh, our case um, because. Uh, well, here's what the way I set it up, right? There's a different sheet you can all look up again. Is that I, I use this the category cholofenu is developed in the context of autopsies, um, and it reflects a very real problem, which is that if you don't define it by cholofenu, if you allow actuarial considerations to consider to affect halacha, so autopsies are just one case, but you can also you also allow anybody anywhere involved in the healthcare industry to violate Shabbos. Um, the problem is that lefenu is not a really good category anymore. So we need, I think we need another category that plays the role that Lefanenu did for the Noda Behuda. I don't know what that category is yet. And as I say, you know, this, this came up very Lamasa for me um, recently because I got asked a bunch of Shilas about people who were working in, um, in, you know, in on the large scale mask distribution question. Uh, you, know, you, know, let's, you know, working in government to mobilize resources. Um, right. Um, or you know, on the small scale, people who were spending every spare moment of their time making masks, right? So I got asked these Shabbos, right? I got asked these Shabbos questions, and there wasn't really great halachic precedent about it. You can see the failure of halachic precedent um, really in the the question of whether you could dial um, dial uh, you could call people on yuntiv if you were having psychological distress. Um, so you know, so you know that so people would try and say. Uh, the, the second after the one I issued that Rev. David Cohen um, put out um, through Amadim put out a, a video saying exactly the same thing, just suggesting that you should use a shinoi. Now, if it's because nefesh, you don't need a shinoi. If it's not because nefesh, it's not mutter with a shinoi, uh, right? And, and what he said, Rabbi Willick said the same thing is, but you know, there's some kind of intuition that because nefesh, which is uh, anticipated because nefesh, is a little bit different. So let's have what you know what I would call a hecker. Right, to recognize that this isn't really quite Bikoch Nefesh, but we're choose it's a category that we can choose to treat as Bikoch Nefesh if we want to. Nobody thought that if there was no way of doing it, nobody suggested that if you couldn't do it with a Shinoi, that you that it wasn't mutter to do it without a Shinoi. Right? It wasn't a technically coherent thought, but it was an interesting intuition. So they you know, all of us recognize that the category of uh, can eat your entire life. Um, and I'll talk about Moshe Tendler has a uh, there's an article in, in, in a book called Kvot Rav that I always quote, which he says, he asks the question very boldly, why is it mutter for a Jewish community to spend money on anything other than hospitals? And certainly what about, what about right, why is it mutter to spend money on a museum, right, as opposed, as opposed to a hospital, right? So that, I think, is a, uh, is a, very, is a very powerful question. Uh, how we answer it, there are lots of different ways to answer it, and we'll talk about it. But I think that fundamentally the question is, uh, the question is right. Um, okay, we need something 
something something like twelve twenty nails to talk about uh, talk about how. Okay, um, so here's this is really the big one. So when can should actuarial decisions affect pikuach nefesh? That's a similar kind of question. So I'm going to argue that there's a difference between communal decisions and individual decisions, and that actuarial considerations uh, affect community decisions, but not individual decisions. And we'll have to think about what the boundary is between individual and community. All right, but that's that I think is a fundamental uh, distinction. I, I'll make the broader argument now before I get to my position, uh, which is that I think generally, halakha as it is framed is about individuals, and halakha for communities is often properly developed by analogy to individuals, but it's not the same halakha. Communities don't make decisions the same way individuals do. Uh, but if you want another case where I tried to set this up, I was having um, a uh, article slash shirim about the obligation to prevent genocide. Right, so I tried to argue that the analogy to that there's an analogy on the communal level to rode, which is that communities have obligations to intervene to prevent other communities from being right from being killed, as opposed to to right, there's no obligation to intervene to prevent individuals, right? There, there are enormous human rights obligations going on in other countries, but we'd never suggest that you would have an obligation to go to war, um, right? What, 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 what might trigger an obligation to go to war if you could win and the consequence would be better, right? All sorts of other criteria, um, but that you have to, to bear the costs if the costs are proportional uh, would be, and I try to argue genocide specifically because genocide is the death of a community. As, right? So I tried to argue that as an analogy, you could buy the specific analogy or not, but that's the the idea, right? Nobody nobody thinks that a I don't I don't believe that anybody thinks that let's say that a, a halachic state has the obligation to intervene militarily whenever in another state, whenever another state is unjustly threatening the life of one of its citizens. Right? So that's the so I'm gonna try I try and argue for that broadly because I think that a lot of things go wrong when we um, don't make this distinction between individual and communities. Okay, is removal of ventilator killing if the patient will probably possibly die immediately or within Chayesha without first without uh, first recovering? Uh, so that's a very complicated question. I'm going to bracket that till 17 because um, I'm still when I wrote when I wrote when I wrote the answer originally I said probably um, and um, and it doesn't matter whether the patient will probably or possibly die immediately. Um, but I'm still not, I'm, I'm not quite sure, um, I'm not quite sure that, um, not quite sure anymore the answer. Okay, why and where is Hasarat Monea permitted? So this I probably have to give you a uh, synopsis of, um, of my brain death article. Um, my argument is that the Ramah has been fundamentally misunderstood by everybody since the Ramah. So this is my Chiddush. And that Hasarat Monea, there's no patient to, right, there's no situation in which Hasarat Monea is permitted. And there's no, right, Hasarat Monea is forbidden equally for all patients except for a category called Goseis Zman Aruch, right? It's not a regular Goseis, but a Goseis Zman Aruch is somebody whom we define as somebody who should, right, who should already have died, right? That's Rechaim Zalalevi's astonishing formulation, right? God wanted them dead. But something went wrong, um, and so then the question is: So why do we allow these things? And the answer is: How do you diagnose whether somebody is goseis manaruch or just a person who is taking right person who is not yet dead? 
right? How do you distinguish between a person who is not really alive, right? The, the way I would say the, the formulation that I use, which I think I get from Chaim David Levy also, I'm trying to remember who the other patient, and the Sitzeliezer uses it also, I think, is that they are, um, they are now a soul trapped in, imprisoned in a body as opposed to a soul inhabiting a body. Um, so the way you diagnose it is that those patients will die uh, in circumstances when other patients will not. For example, if you have a hammering noise, right? So a patient who is alive will not die because you stop hammering. But a patient whose soul is trapped in their body, okay, so it might be that their soul will finally get to leave. Um, right? So I think the Hasarat I think in theory, you should be allowed to shoot that patient. It would, right? The only reason, thing is that if you shot them, you'll never, right? How would, you know, how would you know whether they were the right kind of patient or not? So the only thing we're allowed to do is these things, not because the Hasarat Munea is some kind of magic, but rather because Hasarat Munea is a diagnostic. Okay, so, I, so therefore, it's not really relevant to any of the other things we do if you accept my. Uh, Except my psyche is relevant to brain death. You can read my article about that because brain death would be a case where, we, in fact, we can diagnose Gosei's Manaruch um, in, other, in other ways, um, which is why it's okay to take organs from a brain dead patient even if they're alive. Um, but if you, want to, if you want to buy that argument. Okay. Um, is death ever better than life for a patient? And if yes, how is that condition diagnosed? What halachic implications does it have? So I think the answer is, and this I think is clearly a halachic answer, right? I think, you know, Sarah asked this question many. Uh, many uh, many shurim ago, it's clear all over halacha, all over agada for sure, um, that sometimes death is better than life. Uh, it seems to me that the best the best definition we can have of that is is permanent unconsciousness, and probably you also need to say with some kind of discomfort. Although it's very hard to find a patient who has no discomfort at all. That's the paradox of brain death, right? You know, is that uh, how can you claim it's in their best interest to die if they're not experiencing any discomfort, right? So, Marosha. Um, but that's, that's maybe something sol- soluble. Okay, there's no obligation. And so in such cases, I agree there's no obligation with regard to patients from death is better than life. Uh, I don't know how we define these terms. Um, yeah, I just gave you a definition as uh, As I told you, Trefa, I would much rather use a very narrow technical definition. I don't understand why Razam Nechemi wants to expand it. Um, I really, I, I would rather have the category trefa have just about no existence in halacha uh, for humans. Um, and goses, so the problem with goses, and this is another article of mine, is that uh, there are multiple definitions in halacha, one of which is a patient who dies when you touch them. That's a very unfortunate definition, which I think I've argued is, you know, compellingly as the result of a typo. Um, on the other hand, like what it means for someone to be dying. So some people say that some people do know the difference. You know, people talk about the death rattle. Some people say they can recognize it. Um, Rav Moshe says that we don't know what it is. At least Jews don't know what it is anymore. We should go hang around with non-Jewish doctors, and they'll know what it is. And I always talk about, I think it's Oscar the cat, uh, right? It was a big article um, on, on the internet some years ago, who in a nursing home, Oscar the cat, went, you know, would wander around, and if he curled up in your bed at night, then you knew you were dead in the morning. Okay. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how much use the category ghosts has either. Uh, I'm much more interested in in whether unconsciousness is permanent or not than I am in right, in these categories. Okay, how much confidence? How confidence should we have in medical prognoses of life expectancy? I really haven't done the research, uh, so I really don't know. Um, I know you know that some medical professionals have told me you shouldn't have so much. 
And here Rav Asher Weiss has argued that prognoses of six months are much more reliable than prognoses of a year. Uh, um, yeah, at this point, I haven't done the research to know um, to know uh, how much reliability we should have. Um, and so that's, that's a matter that requires that requires research. And you know, in the cases like COVID-19, it's likely to keep changing because the more, you know, as you get more data, hopefully you make better decisions. So, you know, so it's posculating on the basis of a general, a generic belief in how reliable prognoses are, it seems to be a mistake because, um, because it's just gonna be out of date next week. Okay, with regard to all these questions, are the rules for healthcare professionals different than for everyone else? If you ask when and why, so you'll see that in my position, I'm trying to make that claim. But I have not yet. Uh, well, I have not yet fully succeeded. Um, okay. Yes. Right. You know, as Ellen writes, I know also. Right. Lots of people. You know, my mother-in-law. Right. You know, people are given very, very limited times to live, and they live multiple years, for better or for worse, in some cases. But we all know that doctors can be wrong about prognoses of life expectancy, um, and that you know, to some extent, that's Rosh that's Rishlomo Zalman's great chiddush. Right. That if the doctors tell you that um, that most that most of the time, this won't be Latoella. That's good enough you know, to have a lot of ramifications. I don't honestly know. I think that's a lot of work. Okay, so here we're, here's where I am. Um, as I articulated in the opening share, I want to talk about halakhic ethics. So I'm not doing halakha in exactly the same way I would do halakha necessarily internally. Um, yeah, I guess the banner, right, if I write it out, the banner will be that line from the Red Baz that the halakha has to, be, uh, has, to, has to correspond to a seichel v'hanimus. Um, right, and I've tried to show you all the way through that in this area, poskim keep on using moral svaros, darchi noam, things like that, because this is an area of halacha where the ethical implication is um, is more uh, the ethical implication is more more it's the ethical basis is more obvious than elsewhere. I think that's true. Okay, right, and I still build myself that I think the core principle is and that we define that as every being has to have. Uh, has to have equivalent ontological worth. Um, okay, I'd like in the brain death article I argue, and I think that's still correct, but the formulations go go in and out for me. That that also entails the other Kantian position, which is that you can't use one human being as a means to another, while another human being is the end, because that implies that the end has more worth than the means. Okay, so with that, um, I have to acknowledge a right to self-defense, uh, even when that involves choosing yourself over somebody else and a right to defend others by, by the principle of Rodev, right? So there, the category of Rodev right, is a suspension of Ein Dochen Nefesh Nefesh on a particular axis we would call that we, we call this basically a moral axis, right? That you can defend the innocent against the guilty. Um, the challenge is, you know, how you define guilt and, the, and that there is the existence you know, via, the, via the fetus uh, of the of the category of the innocent rodev, but basically I think that's the way I want to frame it. And the exceptions I think are more in terms of the uh, the Rube Goldberg um, de design rather than uh, fundamentally moral notions. Um, acknowledging a right to prioritize one's own life when this does not involve killing. Um, accepting the Mishnah Halakha's argument that Chayecha Kodmin teaches us that we can make choices. But I, I want to be very careful, right? So some people want to argue, right? As we'll see, that's the next line. That some people want to argue that the that that because we say chayecha kodmin in the context lo tamar that teaches us that our 
opening principle in Dochen Nefesh Bepin Nefesh doesn't have any relevance to the right, to the to the universe of Lotam al Damrecha. I'm arguing accepting the Mishnah Halacha's narrower argument. It, right, the Al Chayef Kovin teaches you that the the alternative is that both of you will die, so then you can make a choice. And once you make a choice, you're allowed to make the choice that way. But if you don't, right? But that's very different than saying that we can make choices even when the right, even when the alternative isn't pointlessness. Right. So I'm going to try to argue for a very narrow, not limited only to your life, but but the much narrower lesson than saying now we can, right that now we've just basically eliminated the, the relevance of the principle of um, of ontological equality. Okay. So how do we allow? How do we allow then the, what seems to be the consensus of prioritizing Chaye Olam over Chaye Um Or even if you accept my modification of it, we prioritize conscious life over unconscious, over unconscious life. So what I want to argue instead, this is right, this is the, the way I want to, this is the, the, the move that I want to make, which I haven't yet succeeded in making. Uh, but the move I, what I see as the promising avenue is that instead of, is that I want to locate a third, as opposed to locating it directly in Lotam Adam Reacha, I want to I want to argue that Rodev and Rapoy um right include a right and obligation to use one's efforts efficiently. Right? If I am saving a Rodev, so I'm allowed to right, I'm I'm allowed to maximize my saving. If I'm a healer, I'm allowed to maximize my healing. But that is right in respiratory terms. That's a din in my efforts. Right? I'm allowed to use my efforts efficiently, and it's not a right. It doesn't entail a violation of the principle of endochin nefesh b'tein nefesh. Right, that's the argument I want to make. Um, it may not apply to Shavada Veda, which is one of the arguments for life um, for life saving, and um, it certainly doesn't apply to Latam Adam Reecha. Right, so it's not it's not part of the general mitzvah of life saving. It's only when there's a mitzvah above and beyond life saving. Okay, that entails taking the position that Rodev is not just an intensifier of of uh, but rather is a completely different universe. Um, and the same, what I want to do essentially is recreate what Rechaim did by abortion, saying that right, Rodev, that we ain't doch nefesh nefesh, but when it's Rodev, you can even kill. So I want to argue that the same kind of thing is true by Rapoi Rape. Um, and, and, but not true in within Latamro Dam and then I'm Working out whether the alternative svara for the obligation to save lives, which is that it's a, a version of Hashavad Aveda, whether it would apply in that context or not, or whether you create a very complicated machine where it doesn't apply to Lotamo, but it does apply to Hashavad Aveda in that context. Okay, because of that, I reject the application of Osek Mitzvah. It's not a relevant, right? it's not in terms of, in terms of um, Lotamo Damriecha, it's not relevant because that would never allow you to make the um, choices. That, that, that's not what's allowing you to make the choices. With, What's going on is your right of rapoi rape, which overrides osek mitzvah. Um, I reject the idea of a right to continue continue being treated uh, or continue getting treatment. Uh, I think being treated is better um, because it's the wrong way to think about it. It's not a din in the patient; it's a din in the doctor. Uh, right? The patient doesn't have. Right? There's no there's no rights in the patient per se. Uh, I reject the idea that the formal status of trefa is relevant because formal statuses have nothing whatsoever have nothing whatsoever to do with um, with healing. Only substantive status has anything to do with it. Uh, Trefa is relevant in terms of Rodef just because of the diminution of the crime of killing from Ritzicha to Shvichut Damim. But I don't think that the formal status of Trefa has anything to do with Rapoi Rape, so it doesn't affect your choices there. Um, similarly, I don't think the status of Goses is relevant except Luchumra, 
um, that there are things you might not be able to do when someone is a ghost is because the risk of killing them is so high. I don't think there are any, there's any. I don't think there's anything you're allowed to do because somebody is a ghost ace. Um, as I argued before, I think you have to distinguish between a ghost ace and a ghost ace mana ruch. They're different. Um, the, the question of whether the category of chayesha as opposed to ghost ace is relevant, uh, lakula. So, as I say, my instinct is I'm not so fond of that category at all. I prefer the let's um, say the Ezra and the Mishnah Lachos' notion that, you know, we don't know how God values life, and that's part of my ontological equality. On the other hand, I can't deny that there seems to be a, you know, a very clear consensus that this is a relevant category, even though it's a dangerous category, as we can see, the way Rizal and Nehemiah Goldberg used it. So at the very least, what I'm going to say is I'm not going to allow Cheyesh to extend past 72 hours, although I know this is against um, post who have extended it to months. I, I, just, I just don't, I just won't do it. Um, in that context, um, in that context, so I want to point out another thing in Rabbi Shechter's um, Shuvah, there are really two versions of Rabbi Shechter's Shuvah. There's the original version. Um, so here's what the original version said. Um, I just want to illustrate the dangers of even, uh, of even, you know, not being rigor, not thinking very rigorously about these categories and how things can creep in. So here is Rabbi Shechter's original version. He said, um, he quotes the mission Horios, right? So the Mishnah, Mishnah Sofarios, who vastated Rikdima Patzalat, did I share successfully? Probably not, right? Let's go back to that. Uh, here. The Mishnah Sofarios, who vastated Rikdima Patzalat, it brings you priority in terms of life saving. Take a look at the Gra, who quotes the Rishalmi, right about what the order there is. Rios is really about communal needs. See Igris Moshe, who says you can't do this, um, this fascinating claim. That's because nowadays you can't choose men over women because maybe women are more learned and, uh, and more Shomer and Mitzvot, whereas before, not so much. There is Achain, however, this calculus, um, of an elderly endangered person as opposed to a health a young healthy person that you should treat the otherwise the, the young otherwise healthy person before the extremely elderly uh, unhealthy person it's clear to everybody that will benefit more years of life if we deal, deal with younger with the, with the younger person so this sounds like a pure consequentialist even you know we can call it utilitarian principle that you know, two, you know, there are lots of irrelevant factors, right? He says, elderly, extremely elderly and dangerous as opposed to young and healthy. But what happens if the, right, what happens if extremely elderly as, um, and healthy as opposed to young and healthy? It's still pretty clear to everybody that uh, actuarially, you'll gain more lives by dealing with the young patient. Right, and that's the extension of Chayesha versus Chayolam. Right, what's, right where, do, where do you get this arbitrary distinction between Chayesha and Chayolam? So I pointed out, I pointed this implication out to one of our Schechter students. It was also pointed out, I discovered afterwards by Dr. Alan Jotkowitz in his review and tradition. And a new version uh, came out, which uh, I am assured, so I take it on faith, is, uh, was the original meaning, but it was still very sloppy. Uh, still very sloppy, right? Here's what, here's what it says now. Um, uh, okay. Right, but that, that calculation between the Zakain Muflag and Musukan, as opposed to the Seira Bari, 
right, every, this is this is. Tell me if I, if if you can't see the screen. Lichora tama barulakol. Every lichora. Everybody understands his reasoning. Shenarviach yoter im netapel b'tzir habari. We'll gain more if we deal with a young, healthy person. More more years of life vanished. Don't think it's because the young person will live 40 years, and the elderly person only five. The man Lehman, who will say this to you? Okay, right. So, right. So he explicitly, explicitly um, denies this, and instead he says, "What's going is that the elderly person, even if the ventilator helps, which he defines as less than a year." Okay, right. So all these categories, you know, first, you know, the I don't, you know. I have to take it on faith that that's what was intended in the um, that's what was intended in the original in the original version as well. Um, but you can see that allowing the category of chayesha to into into here, it's it you know it ends up being stretched wildly, and the logic of it takes you along, right takes you in a very takes you takes you in all sorts of very dangerous places. At the very least, I'm going to limit chayesha to 72 hours. Uh, okay. I agree that there's no obligation, there's no losamor damriyach against the best interests of patients. Although it would be better if we just said losamor is not the source and Ashavada Veda is the source. That's Tarachiyun. And right, and again, I have my definition of best interest of the patient as permanent unconsciousness. Um, if I had my my druthers, probably, I would say that the choices you can make are between you know, are based on what the odds are of the patient recovering. Um, consciousness with the capacity to make moral choice, much more than distinctions between chayesha and chayolam. But I'm not sure I can do that because that's um, because that's um, that's uh, just not not where the where the you know the, where the the community of Sak is right now. But I would much rather have that, and that leads to situations where you know where it's where it's legitimate to remove the ventilator because removing the ventilator is the only way you'll ever allow the patient to recover. Consciousness, even though right, even though they'll die faster, um, and it's almost no circumstances where a patient will be preserved for conscious chayesha, uh, right, via ventilator, um, and constant constant chayesha that will go on long enough that will have a significant impact on our capacity to provide treatment to others. Uh, so I think that that's really where we should end up, um, but I haven't figured out a way. You know, even if I said it, I think I would have to say it. Very tentatively, I'd be very reluctant if, for some reason, I was actually asked the Shaila Lamasa to rule that way, unless I've talked to somebody else at least to, to agree with me, somebody <laughs> somewhere with a lachik with a lachik weight. Um, okay, you know, somebody, I guess somebody other than Rosamund and Kulper. Okay, I, as we pointed out, I reject the relevance of Monea Monea except as diagnostic. Um, I reject the relevance of Lutalenu as a criterion for triag policy. Um, Right, triage policy. So I don't think Lefanu is relevant, but I accept it as a criteria for individual doctors. Um, right, individual doctors probably should think about Lefanu, but when doctors are dealing with a situation where they're bound by communal policy, like in, like in a hospital, then they follow, right, then they're just agents of communal policy, so they don't follow their own thing, right? I think Lefanu is only relevant in private practice. Um, you know, that, you know, when you're, when, you're, when you're a doctor in private practice, so you're entitled to um, say, you know what, it, it, I know it's possible that there's a patient with Dr. So-and-so has a patient who might be helped more by this medication by intended for my patient. Good. I think you're allowed to say Lefanu in that case. Or, you know, I, I, you know, but I think that when, once, once the decision has been made on some kind of communal level and I'm willing to treat 
hospital policies for now, at least when they're made in the context of a broader arrangement of hospitals as community, and maybe even hospitals generally are allowed to make decisions that way. Okay, and this I think is true for all actuarial issues, that um, individuals are never allowed to think actuarially. Communities are always allowed and supposed to think actuarially. When is a communal decision made, it overrides the individual decision. Okay, so that's the, those are, those are the positions I wanna take. Um, so what are the challenges? Challenges number one, as we said, is abortion that can't plausibly be rode. And my response to that is probably going to be that abortion is only becomes shrikhut damim and, um, and therefore prohibited to save the life at a point when the fetus can survive a C-section. So probably you never actually have to choose. Right, because it's mutter, because it's not shrikhut damim before, right, before, before viability and the point of viability is so take the fetus out. Um, that's probably the way I would try to resolve it. Uh, what about the situations of trefa and Gentiles uh, which could plausibly be rodev, so then there'll be differences between Jews and Gentiles again, using Rakhine's model. So the answer is, I probably would use a very, very, very narrow definition of the innocent rodev. And I'd be perfectly happy if it turned out the only case, the only relevant case of the innocent rodev is the, right, is the, um, is, right, is childbirth. I have to see if I can pull that off. Okay, so then the really big issue, pardon? Uh, with respect to abortion and, and doing the fetus for a C-section, uh, there could be a situation where it's uh, where there's a suffix, right? You're not sure if the if the, if the fetus will survive the C-section, and then even if even if there isn't a suffix, there could also be a case where the baby will survive, but it'll cause long-term uh, long-term uh, health issues or 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 possibly yeah, it could be. On the other hand, every fetus is a suffix nephil mm -hmm. until they're born, right? So there's always a leniency in practice about fetuses. Okay. All you need to do is create a sphinx fake So, But I think, you know, there's no, I'm not pretending that this is a neat answer. Yeah, hopefully those cases are rare, and I'm, you know, and I'm telling you that Lamasa, this is one of those cases, I, I, I think that like one of the real things that we can learn from um, American constitutional law is that really interesting notion that certain kinds of cases are subjected to greater scrutiny than others. Um, right, so I think these are the kind of, so what I argue is that distinctions among Jews and Gentiles on these right, non-ritual issues are subjected to, at the very least, heightened scrutiny, maybe even strict scrutiny. Right? So I think Sandra Day O'Connor, or uh, they want to go Sandra Day O'Connor, or, 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 or all the way. Um, and same with gender. Uh, okay. Uh, what about the problem is if I allow Rapoyirape to be its own universe, just like Rodev. So then why don't we let um, actuarial criteria such as age enter into it? So what I want to argue is that the um, that in Rodef, the only axis you're allowed to think of is the moral the threatened threatened threatener morality. And in the kind of rapoyrape, you're only allowed to consider medical criteria. Right? Age is not a medical, it's not a medical criterion, age is an actuarial criterion. Uh, right. So the so therefore in the context of rapoyrape and the the way I would frame it, this is something that came out this summer, that's the one shira I bloop, which I should probably give again about CRISPR. Uh, Sarah Bleich argues that um, that for the that if you treat the rapoyurape as a chidush, right? That right, that um, the natural order is really you should allow the natural order to progress. And so the Torah says, but even though there is a natural presumption that you shouldn't interfere with what with with the order of nature, but here rapoyurape allows you to, at least in the context of life and death. So we can limit that and say, you know, that you're only allowed to in the context 
of medically relevant issues. And so unless age is a medically relevant, is a clinically relevant issue, you can't consider it just on an actuarial basis. Uh, right? I think that's the way that one would have to do it. And it's not great, but at the end, on the other hand, what I showed you, Dr. Schefter, is like nobody else knows why it doesn't matter either. Right? There's no, no, but nobody, right? And, it, and if you look at Rav Asher Weiss, um, the beginning of his truva is exactly modeled on Rav Shlomo Zalman's truva, where he says, you know, he says you can you can use risk one way, you can use risk, you can use benefit the other way, but you can't use age. The reason that's to say you can't use age is because obviously you should be able to use age, but they think it's immoral. Right, so I'm just basically ending up in the same place they are, maybe even with a better explanation than uh, they have. All right, so Ari says, what if the page is 119 years old? So you know that's not Pshat and Chumash. Right, Le'edon Ruchi Ba'olam means that the Mabal is coming 120 years, not that people only get to live for 120 years. <laughs> okay, so no, doesn't bother me. Um, okay. Um, okay. Um, the big issue that I have not resolved from in my head is, you know, and that's why we're not, I haven't really accomplished anything yet. Um, I, I, have, I have a means of getting to where everybody else did, I guess, um, in ways that I think are less subject to, uh, to to moral problems, and I'm more capable of participating in moral discourse. And a few just, you know, um, just, you know, just let's ignore that. Like, you know, Horio thinks he explains how we how we ignore it. Um, Ruvla respirators really bothers me. Um, it's not clear to me that the, whether you die immediately or over time, why should that make a difference? I think that Siciliazer is probably right that it should that you know that it really shouldn't make a difference, but um, but it's it's a challenge. And what the real issue to me is what, what I think what we're looking for um, is right. I, I point out the weakness with the you know, with with the Rochester's approach, right? The moral weakness in the last sentence. But here's really where I'm going, and I haven't succeeded yet. The question is, can motive make a difference? Meaning, can the same action be murder in one context and just a failure of Lotamod in another? So I thought of, you know, of kind of test cases. Like one is, one is a doctor takes a respirator from a patient to give it to another patient. And the other is somebody pointing a gun at a doctor and saying, uh, right, and saying, I want you to remove that, or just a random non-doctor walking in, right? So is there a difference between a doctor pulling a respirator with the, right, for, with the intent of helping another patient and a murderer walking in and pulling a respirator, right, not a murderer, right, that's, sorry, and someone else walking in and removing the respirator for the sole purpose of killing the patient. So does motive, does motive define the action? Uh, it seems to me that what we really want is a way that ordinarily pulling a respirator is shrikut damim, right, or grama de retzicha and things like that. And despite that, right, that there are within certain kinds of narrow circumstances, right, uh, namely when it enables a doctor to maximize their healing efficiency, um, we do allow them to do it. I haven't found a way to thread that needle yet. Uh, Razal Menachemia, I think, um, gave up too much um, in the uh, in terms of right of it not being killing at all, I think it's both halakhically wrong and morally uh, deeply troubling. Uh, on the other hand, it seems clear that the approach we have now adopted in halacha uh, isn't really working because what we're really saying is doctors should recuse themselves. But we're not, you know, I don't think anyone is going to the barricades and saying you know, we need to demonstrate against this. 
uh, right? It thinks more like this, it's a place of discomfort where we tend to think the result is right, but we can't justify it logically. Um, but the problem with that is that maybe, you know, is that if we think the result is right, how much do we think the result is right? So the Massachusetts guidelines written by Dr. Truog um, do allow age, essentially, as a criterion. Uh, as long as there's, an, you know, as long as it maximizes, right, anything that maximizes years of life, um, right? There's no notion of, um, if, which is the reverse, right? You can say ontological equality, exactly the same. So now, since all lives have ontological equality, but we allow, we allow them to be multiplied by, the, by, by length. So the goal is to maximize lives, you know, maximize length of lives, because all moments of life have ontological, you know, have ontological equality. It's a very rational position. Uh, I don't want to go there. I really don't want to go there. Um, but I don't think we have a really good way of um, a really good way of getting there. You know, it's in, in Dr. Truog's world, right? You just score people, and at the end of the day, if you have a 50-year-old, um, you know, who has a 60% chance of survival, just say one person has a 60% chance of survival, one person has a 70% chance of survival. I think in Dr. Truog's world, you take the ventilator from the 60% person to the 70% person. Um, and I don't have a way of preventing that yet, but that makes me very uncomfortable. Uh, let alone if we start allowing age in as a criteria. So that I think is the work that still needs to be done. Um, and so maybe there'll be another share. Maybe I'll just write it. Uh, you're welcome to email me uh, if you want to be part of, you know, then you can be part of the, uh, the conversation as I, you know, but you may be overwhelmed with drafts. I just warn you because when I'm trying to write something like this, so often I start putting out many, many drafts for comments. So if you want to be part of that, just be aware you may be overwhelmed with, uh, with drafts because um, that's at this stage is often how I think is by writing it out and letting it be, letting it be challenged. And sometimes the result of that is that nothing gets written, and sometimes the result of that is that something good comes out. Um, that's probably where I am. Okay, so now I have gone 11 minutes overtime, which is I think really the first time this whole series has been overtime. I've been very, very good. Uh, Zim is very good for discipline. And now, um, certainly, you know, you can ask questions. Uh, we can do the, the Ernie Vinick thing. You know, just ask questions, ask questions till you, uh, till you drop on the, uh, on the subject. And thank you all very much for being all the way through. You know, I thought the beginning of this would be a two-share series, two series. We're now at eight, and we're not done, uh, at least in terms of the subject. Okay, questions. Jerry, you want to ask something? Yeah. Well, first of all, Yasha Kayak, this has been very enlightening, well put. You know about the experiments with pushing someone off a bridge onto a train or... Trolleys, yeah. A trolley, yeah, okay. So, <clears throat> you know, when they do those experiments, people distinguish between whether they're doing it with their own hands, pushing someone onto the tracks, or just uh, moving a lever. And I think that has, has something to do with the Shabbos clock morality that you're uncomfortable with. But somehow it's more like the lever rather than pushing the person on the track. So that intuition might be at play here. Yeah, so I think it's a really interesting question. And, and, you know, the, the fascinating experiments that came out of the lab at Harvard, I think mostly, right? Yeah. Um, right, about, you know, where, which seemed to argue, but some, some of their work, I think, was challenged later. Yeah. But I think, um, right, uh, what, you know, that arguing that there are hardwired intuitions, right? Um, and that, and that Kuma say Shea Valta says one of those hardwired intuitions. Right. Right, and so then the issue is, um, you know, does, do we think, okay, Halakha has to agree with those hardwired intuitions? No, 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 but I'm just saying I think it might have something to do with why people feel good about the uh, Shabbos clock morality. Um, that might be why it's un it, they feel good, because it, it sort of comports with their intuitions. 
That's right. And the category of Brahma, right, will corresponds to that. And the question is, but, you know, I like to think Halakha is a little bit more sophisticated. And so, you know, there's an instinct, but then it, and they, we, I think we have to validate the instinct, but not the application. Good. Okay. Uh, the other thing I wanted just to note is the idea of not having priorities as to, you know, Zuckane. Uh, there was some talk in New York about giving priority to doctors who were treating COVID patients if they became ill, that they would get priority for certain things. Just noting that. Um, yeah, I should say, right, I, I forgot to address that in the thing that's, to me, the, to me, the right answer to that is um, you have to have a, a it has to have a direct actuarial impact on outcomes for the whole community. It can't be a reward. It has to have a, a direct actuarial. It can't even be, it'll help you in the next. I don't, I don't think you can, I think that's where it has to be at least magefa shilafanenu. Okay, but, but it, it, it does, it, it is an extra incentive for someone to go back into medicine or to go into the hospital knowing that they'll have a better chance of being treated. Right, so I saw the arguments and, I, and I, that's, I have very, a very deep suspicion. Uh, you know, I'd rather that's not how people made the, their decisions, but they might very well. And if you showed me that this would, that, you know, that we wouldn't have enough doctors, and that's why we have enough doctors, or doctors are willing to take chances they wouldn't, then I would accept it as a legitimate public policy argument, even though I would probably oppose it as a matter of public policy. Okay, and, and is there not a mitzvah to take care of your own life, to make sure that you live and or that you take care of your diet and exercise? There is some sort of, isn't there a mitzvah of preserving yourself? Tell me what you want to get out of that. Let's suppose I say well, yes. Uh, it's sort of like kibbutz uh, of aim, when you have to choose between, <clears throat> you know, saving your father and saving a stranger, you might say there's an extra mitzvah in the same way when you have to choose between yourself and someone else, that there's an extra mitzvah of preserving your own life. And that's how you get to Rabbi Kiva's principle. With, right, yeah, with the, and, and you could use that, yeah, use that principle. I see. An interesting way of, of taming Rabbi Akiva's principle on the one hand and allowing it to be expanded on the other. That's interesting. I have to think about it. Okay. I have to think about that. Uh, okay, Shkrech. Um, and thank you again for suggesting this. So are you, are you, you're really uncomfortable with the idea of, let's, in my terms, making a multivariate model in which age <clears throat> is a separate, independent predictor and the, and the model without age doesn't predict as well. And you really want to leave age out. I do. Um, I'm just saying that so does everybody else. I'm, what do you, mean? you make a coma score or something, I think probably age is in it. All those, they contain because they're empirically relevant. I mean, everybody else, everybody else halachically, right? As, right, okay, I, halachic. think, right I think, right, I think everyone else, everybody else used, talks about, you know, it has to be, age is only, can only be used when it's clinically relevant as opposed to actually relevant. I think that is the, that's the, that's the, de that's the definition. I think that it might be Massachusetts has to do that also because it would be illegal otherwise. Um, but as I say, you know, it puzzles me, right? Because you look at, you look at, um, at Roshlama Zaman, you look at, and Roshlama Weiss, and you see, and Roshlama I really thought was saying the other thing. And yet it's clear that, you know, that, you know, you know Roshlama Zaman and Roshlama Weiss just say out of hand, you can't consider age, but why not? I think that probably the reason they're doing that is because they, think it would be against Jewish ethics to value the young more than the old. Um, um, yeah, but this is, well, I guess what's bothering me about this is that in these cases, 
um, the distinction between clinically relevant and actuarially relevant, not in the sense of years of life, but in, in the sense of going to get out of the hospital within a month alive. Those, all the, almost all these short-term ICU scores are very, have a very short time horizon. And I'm to speak of a case of which I am aware, for example, you know, he got out of the, the ICU alive and he died in four months. Um, I don't particularly think that was a great use of the ICU. Um, but yeah, that's, that's why, you know, that's why people want to extend it out to TREFA. All right, but I, I'm just saying all of these scores are short-term scores. So in some sense, they are the only clinically relevant thing you know, because it's the only way you can put all the, all the variables you have together in a way that, that doesn't say, well, this one has, has you know, 74 breaths per minute, and this one has 69 breaths per minute, and how am I going to trade that off? As a, that's a lot of breaths. Right, so if age, if, age, if age is relevant for short-term results, right, that might that's be- That's what all these things all these scores are short-term results. So that might be that might be a um, yeah, that might be that might be clinically relevant then. That's um, what I'm trying yeah. to say. Yeah, that might be clinically relevant then, um, and that's you know, and you're four months right. That's why you know Rosher Weiss wants to extend out to six months, and Rochester extends it out to eleven months. Um, you know, I'm at the luxury I haven't written yet. You know, my instinct is I'm not going to like that. Um, I really, I'm really not going to like that. But um, but I haven't written it yet, and you're you know, and so yeah, I just right now I'm just pointing to the fact that everybody you know that all the, the other post game deny utterly that they would ever allow that to be part of it, and it's really interesting to me because they have no basis for doing so. Okay, and you want to say, for example, that somebody with let, let's say multiple metastases, including large liver mets, is what? Hayesha uh, ah? I don't know. What's you know? You have to ask me what. Usually uh, short, short prognosis. Somebody who was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer eight months ago, usually very short prognosis. But they're not ghosts yet. They're you not ghosts. Yeah. 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 That's a hard case, right? You know, do you, do you say that they don't get, they don't, that they don't, that they don't get treated, right? Do you set a hard boundary? Well, I don't know what you, you say, but I'm just saying that the, if there's a, this is the category I would like to call TREFA, but you apparently don't want to call TREFA. Yeah. So but yeah, but it doesn't matter what you call it, right? What matter, right? Because, yeah. right? Be what matters is, in the end, is are you comfortable allowing prognosis, right? allowing allowing distinctions among patients who have a reasonable prognosis for conscious life of X length, and say what matters is how long, right? That's really right, that's really the question that matters, and I'm not comfortable. Yeah, uh, I don't like it. Um, yeah, okay, but I'm just saying that that's kind of. But yeah, well, those I, are I, the, the practical kinds of people that are in this category. Right, I agree with you, right? And so, you know, and I think if I look at the at what other posts can have written, everyone is deeply uncomfortable with it, but everyone is also deeply uncomfortable with the notion that it plays no role at all. It does just doesn't make sense to say, I can save a person for a second, I can save a person for 80 years, I'm gonna save the person for a second. Right? That also makes no sense. And so they set up arbitrary lines. Right, you know, some for some people the arbitrary line is 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 a year, for some people the arbitrary line is six months. For some people, the arbitrary line is 72 hours, uh, right? That's basically what we're doing. So my inclination right now is to set the arbitrary line around 72 hours. But I could be argued into more. You know, some of it's going to depend, you know, unquestionably on the data of how many, right? You know, what really is the difference in outcomes depending on where you set the line? And how many patients really are at that, are in that in-between space, uh, right? And, you know, and would it, and with the world shift radically, you say seventy-two hours. Well, guess what? 
you know, what's really causing, you know, the mortality of lung patients who could otherwise save because of inadequate ventilators is if you just said it at 96 hours, everything would be great. Right? So that would put a lot of pressure at putting it at 96 hours, right? Uh, but you know, I don't think we should pretend otherwise. Um, so that's why I don't know. Uh, I don't like the notion that we can say, well, yeah, he could have he could have lived for a year, but he could live, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm not comfortable with that. Okay. Okay, um, but, I don't, but I don't have anything better yet. You know, the only thing I can point again is that nobody else did either. Right? They're all they're all pretty much putting in arbitrary lines. You know, the 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 only language we have really that makes a difference is chayesha. Uh, well, so we have two languages that make. We can say chayesha. We have some kind of thing. You can say trefa, we can do something, but the problem is that no one think no one can really say that a trefa is more dead than a gosses for these purposes. It just doesn't make no. any sense. And yet halakhically, the, the formal argument that works for trefa doesn't work for gosses. So that makes it very difficult to use trefa as a moral category. Uh, you know, uh, Elliot Dorf in the conservative movement tried to do that a while back. And just, you know, just say, okay, let's treat Let's say that trefa is the relevant moral category, and we're just going to ignore the fact that killing a ghost is retzifa. Uh, right? We're just going to ignore that, you know. And I didn't think I didn't think that was a very honest um, treatment of halacha. But perhaps I should have a little bit more sympathy now, because um, you know I'm I'm being stuck in the same picard. I understand the temptation. I understand the temptation, but you still shouldn't give into it. Okay, and I'm just going to say one more thing. Yeah, my understanding is that the only people who do not ever use age as a, in some sense as a criterion are the United States and maybe the halacha and in the NHS in, in Britain and probably every European system. And I believe the Canadians, there are certain things that they will not do for people over a certain age, various age cutoffs. And, and people do they do that, not, that not because systems. of clinical outcomes, but because of just expectancy? Not because of what? Not because of clinical outcomes, but because of life expectancy? I think just like we don't do whatever it is for people over 80. Yeah, but just because because well, on average people over 80, whatever, and because it's an expensive thing and we're not going to spend the money on it. In this case, we in, in this country, we decide we're not going to spend the money on poor people. In that case, they decide they're not going to spend the money on old people. Right. So you're right. Like, you know, ongoing critique is that we, you know, is that we, you know, we in the U.S. spend, a, you know, a um, twice as much as difficult else. to justify percentage of our health care of our, of our health care um, uh, economy. On last on the very end of life, right? You know, we have a generate generate part of the generational transfer of wealth is in healthcare, and that's also a deep moral challenge. You're right. Yeah, the trouble with that is nobody comes in with a sign that says, "I'm this is the year I'm going to die." Yeah, in hakinami, in hakinami, um, you know, and, and you know, some people when people want to draw the sharp distinctions between halakha and secular morality, so it's you know, so so the respect for the age of Pnei Vatakum, all the kind of stuff, right? You know, Hadrat Pnei Zaken all show up like we really care about the elderly. And, you know, with the truva we did about, you know, about whether you allow, you know, women and children first off the boat, right? Whether, you know, whether that's halachic consideration or not. So some people push back really hard and say, you know, no, right? You know, Allah thinks you should treat, you should get the elderly off first, right? And then you get to the, you know, the Bad Hatzalah in, right, during the Holocaust. Right, you know, saving Tamil Chachamim, you know, develop Tamil Chachamim before anybody else, right? So these are not easy questions. I don't have a great answer. Um, I'm happy, I guess, right now that uh, that my, I, I suspect Israel also doesn't use age as a criteria, by the way. Well, that, yeah. 
Yeah, right. So okay. It's, that's pretty rare. Yeah, so it might be Israel. It might be it might be Israel. You know, the U.S. and Halakha. It might be. Uh, okay, I can live with that. Oh, I can live with that. Yeah. I just wish I had a better. There are a lot of Jews living out of these other systems. Yeah, in a chinami, in a chinami. Um, okay, Okay, can I, I can you stay on for a minute? And I need to ask you a technical question. Uh, well, I'll stay on for all the other questions. You can stay on afterwards and ask me. So, what other yeah, questions what I mean. are there that are no gay to other questions relevant to the shear? Um, I I. I wanted to ask you to elaborate on um, what you were saying. Uh, maybe can you scroll up a bit so I can see uh, your your answer here? Um, can you can you show show us? Um, you uh, what, what, I, I I my question is um, that I what you were saying about about the the obligation to use one effort one's efforts efficiently. And yeah. he said this should not does not apply to Shavadeva and not to Lotamod. Yeah. Why not? What, what what's the distinction there? Why would would so efficiency to, apply only to those two and not to those two? Right. So I'm trying to argue that Rodef and Rapoi Rape are defined as um as mitzvahs above above, you know, like there's a normal moral order, which is Endofinesh and Penefesh. And then these mm -hmm. are built in as specific rights. Whereas Hashavad Avida is just right, it's just part of the normal system, uh, right? It's, it's not right. It's not. It's not. It's not defined as an exception, right? These are right. So if Rabbi Bleich is right, let's say, right? That, 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 I haven't thought of formulated this way, but I'll say Rabbi Bleich claims there are only two natural law principles in Judaism. One is and the other is that if God wants someone to die, you're not supposed to stop. You're not supposed to stop them. Right? Life and death are in God's hands. Okay. And Halakha builds in exceptions to both of those, right? Rodev is the exception, is is an exception is an exception to the that to natural law principle of Ain Dokhanesh Benefish. And Rapoy Rape mm -hmm. is an exception to the claim that God has the right over life and death. Okay. So those right, so those exceptions I'm I'm willing to build in a you know to build in a right that is implicit in that exception, which doesn't apply anywhere else in Halakha. Hmm. Right, that's right, that's the way I want to do it. We'll see if it works, but that's the way I want to do it. Uh, it may put too much weight on uh, on Ray Black's understanding of Rapoy Rapay. Um, and you know, and naturally natural law there was always huge huge amount of pushback to that this summer. Um, it was a, yeah. Actually, yeah. I mean maybe I'm not fully understanding what you're trying to say here, but I don't see the parallel between Rapoy Rapay and Rode, because Rodef is a particular exception to Indochin Nefesh. And seems to be uh, like flipping around what you call the, the natural state of things or whatever that, the, you know, you should let people, you should let God do what he wants with people. But means in every case, we want to we try to save people. Yeah. So the question, you know, where Black was dealing with was CRISPR, right? You know, what do you have a right to, you have, right? Is there really an unlimited right to manipulate? The right the human the human being, or is it limited to the context mm -hmm. of healing? Uh -huh. um, right. So he argued it was limited. To, he he wants to argue that only, only you can only do things that are can be defined as refua. Um, so we talked about the the proper way, you know, how how you define refua. That you know even if you accept that technicality, it doesn't get you there. Um, but um, 
but that right that's what that's what you know what we were trying to do right was uh when i again i'm sorry i would send you to the share but i totally blew that's the one share i think i totally blew in this whole series that i have to give again as uh, the crispr share um my fault because i i, I didn't re-prepare it um or what we're trying to do is the intuition that that a lot of people have is there is that there is a problem with playing god and on the other hand you have you know the the rub whole the rub idea that you know control of the environment is part of human dignity is part of right, it's adam one all those sorts of things and trying to find some way to balance some way to balance those and right, that was a big part of the project for the summer was to figure out a way in which halakha could right could capture that on the one hand you know imitatio day is a right is a fundamental human purpose on the other hand playing mm-hmm. god is wrong and mm-hmm. right, we're trying we're trying to right and so right Blake was the really the only person who made any kind of serious philosophic effort at appro- at approaching at approaching that there have been christians who tried also but within the halakhic world right Blake is is um not atypically right the person who right who, who made a serious effort at that and so i'm trying to move his effort in that regard and see if it has implications here uh implications here as well like where we came out in the summer i think a lot of us you know obviously you know every chuva was you know as, as always has its own unique perspective and some of them are radically opposed but i think we're you know, if you ask like what where the intuition was trying to move the every most people understood that you can't ban things like banning scientific things absolutely is a is a loser long term right yeah. scientific progress is going to happen so you need some kind of progressive notion uh, and yet, at the same time, the notion that you could always do whatever you you always you know, always advance whatever, whatever, no matter what the consequences are that's also bad. And so, what we're trying to do was to find was at least I was what I was trying to do you know, was to use Ray Blake's conception of some kind of natural law limit on human creativity, which doesn't relate which but but one which relates more to process than outcome. Okay. Uh, right? Was right? And so I'm trying to apply that here also to say like is a space where we've talked about giving human pe- giving human beings a lot of autonomy, but not unlimited autonomy. Right, and I'm trying to create the same kind of space here, but this is part of the you know, the whole challenge of trying to do halakha um, in the context of serious philosophy. Right, you know, mm-hmm. law doesn't always work in the context of you know, a serious philosophy, um, so it may not work. But that's what I'm trying to do. Okay. Okay. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Other questions. Um, yeah, um, I'm not sure if you discussed this previously, but uh, the concept of Devar Sheinu Nitkavin, which I realize is a Shabbat concept maybe, but um, can that be uh, used, for example, say, to distinguish between the case of burning somebody's food and, um, well, there, there are various things, but uh, burning somebody's food versus taking them off the ventilator, right? If you burn somebody's food, you're doing it because you want them not to be able to eat. But if you're taking somebody off the ventilator, it's not because you don't want them, because you want them to die, right? You're taking them off the ventilator because you need the ventilator for some other reason. And it just so happens, and maybe it's a psychiatric, maybe it's not a psychiatric, right? Um, it just so happens that they, uh, that they die. Um, yeah, so you remember, um, right, when we did the Shlomo Zalman, they talked about his pension for loose analogies. Okay. So the one I was talking about really is in the context of morphine drips. Shlomo Zalman allows morphine drips, even though it's likely that, that, right, even though any given dose is, it's possible will kill the patient, right, and that, in, and perhaps inevitably the dose will increase to the point where 
right, where it kills the patient. You know, I've gone back and forth on the reality of that. Dr. Steinberg, Steinberg argues it's not true. Um, Dr. Glick implied to me in the um, in an email recently that in fact it is true, and I have to go back and study because the study Dr. Steinberg relies on is Australian prisoners, I think, and so maybe there's an, maybe there's an issue there. But let's work on the assumption that you know that some medical people told me was true that you know when you're in hospice and you start a morphine drip. So eventually the morphine drip will rise to the level that it suppresses respiration to the point of killing you. The only question is whether it will rise to that level before you die of other causes or not. You're engaged in a race. Um, so Shalom Zalman says that the morphine drip is legitimate because it's a secretion of lonichale. And uh, right, and, and a secretion of lonichale uh, in outside of Shabbos is mutter. Right? Like you know, secretion of lonichale becomes a dovershin miscavane. Uh, in that, right, and we right, if you want to, you know, again, the interplay of Shabbos, some people think Shabbos is more Chomer, right, some people think Shabbos is less Chomer, Shabbos, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and this is, seems to be essentially what, you know, what in, uh, what Jesuits call, it's called double effect, double effect theology, right, that it, that um, there is an, under, there is a Jesuit principle that obsecration of Lone Echelo is Mutter. I'm really not comfortable Really not comfortable with it. Really, really not comfortable with it. If that's the if that were the argument, you know, saying that you could have a you know a consequence that you know about but you're not responsible for because it wasn't what you intended. Um, you know, I, I didn't I didn't grow up, I guess, thinking that psychiatry was that limited, and partially it's because I read a um, a novel whose name I always forget by um, by Ring Lardner, um, which has this just magnificent parody of Jesuit thinking about these issues, which is you know, obviously just spectacular Purim Torah. Um, and it's, you know, and it's, and it's, you know, and it's, I just never, I don't really want, I don't, I don't really want somebody writing, writing a Ring Lardner novel about me. Um, so yeah, yeah, you could do it. I really don't want to. I mean, I, I was really talking about a non-Sikrisha case because I, I, I personally think that the concept of Sikrisha almost never applies. Because when can you ever really be sure about something? Maybe, maybe in a rare circumstance. But uh, you know, taking up somebody, somebody off the ventilator, there's always a chance that they might, uh, they might end up surviving. But and then you know, you can think about it also in the case of a of a of a, of a pregnant woman who needs uh, chemotherapy or something like that, right? Um, but to leave aside the issue where maybe you have to make sure that the baby, that the fetus is, uh, uh, dies because the chemotherapy might cause permanent damage, right? Let's assume that's not an issue. Then there, you're, you're giving the mother chemotherapy in order to save the mother. You're not trying to kill the baby. In fact, you hope the baby doesn't die. Um, uh, you just, uh, yeah. it, it just happens that the baby might die. You're right. I, I really don't like it. I really, I, you know, it goes against my notion that, you know, you take, you take responsibility for foreseeable actions and, you know, in Shabbos is a unique thing. I'm willing to allow, you know, to allow exceptions in Shabbos, but I'm very, I'm very uncomfortable extending Sikrisha outside of Shabbos. But you know, intellectual honesty. I have to tell you, Shlomo Zalman, you know, says Kain Sikrisha there, just like he says, like he over here, he says, you know, right? Shlomo Zalman likes these analogies. I don't like this analogy. Uh, so, I mean, you know, I guess what you're saying is actually kind of, it, it's similar to, so in American law, right, uh, uh, a uh for murder doesn't, doesn't get you out of it, right? Uh, or even our, right? as long as you take an, an action which, uh, 
it might move it down to second degree murder or something like that. But as long as you take an action which, uh, you know, uh, uh, has a foreseeable consequence. Yeah, then right, you're still going to be liable for murder or second degree murder or manslaughter or something like that. Um, but. Uh, yeah, it's a machlok as if I could tell you that also, right? Generally, where the category of secretion applies in the Zikin. Uh, uh-huh. Right? Right? It's, you know, and how that relates to grammar and all this kind of thing. But there are. Well, that's interesting because if it's because if there if you have a if you have a, a mafuket, you know then you could combine it with the concept of um, of trefa, right? You do you could you could then have a, a sveik sveika. Yeah, I could do it if I wanted to. I could do it that way. I don't want to. I really, you know, I should I said drop nazika, but also the end of the fashions, right? All these issues, all these issues come up, and you know, and then we say, okay, by the end of the fashions. So in terms of you know, you want to say. You know, I, I guess what I, you know, I'm happy getting, you know, not having the death penalty. So I'll say, okay, it turns it from Ritzicha to Shrikha Stamim, so I don't have to worry about capital punishment. But do I want to get it, you know, turn it from Shrikha Stamim into just Losamo? No, I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to. Okay. And then, well, uh, just some, that's something that, that brought up, I just realized. Um, this might be a slippery slope, but what happens if the patient is Chayim uh, Mita? And what we, and Let's assume that we can come up with a situation where actually it's very clear, you know. Uh, um, if he's been know, sentenced already, you're right. If he's been sentenced already, he's probably dead. Uh, right now, there, nowadays there are no courts that are capable of sentencing somebody, right? But, yeah, uh, but but theoretically, but you know, committing a crime doesn't make you doesn't make you chayav misa in halacha, right? And that, that well, makes you chayav misa, but doesn't make you dead. What makes you dead in halacha? Is right is is a court pronouncing sentence on you, mm-hmm. and then there's no right. Then we don't. Right, if you get trapped in a building on Shabbos, we're not allowed to dig you out anymore. What, okay, but if but if let's say you you kill somebody uh, and you were warned by witnesses, doesn't matter until the sentence is pronounced. What's that? Only one, only one sentence is pronounced. Uh, okay. I just read this in some secular thing also, right? That that was as a theory of uh, of what well, you know what enables courts. Rav Chaim says this, right, that what enables, that why is it mutter for the executioner to kill you? Right, it's a violation of Rasifa. The answer is the court's pronounced you dead, so now it's not Rasifa. Or Shvichastamim, right? You're already dead. What kills you is a sentence, right? And once we kill you, once we kill you illegally, then someone else can kill you physically. Oh, well, then the sentence, well, then the sentence maybe would be Rasifa. Right, so why is the sentence mutter? So then we have to clear, ah, so then we go back into the question of when Moshe kills the Egyptian by saying Shem Hashem, so maybe the definition of killing requires requ- requires something more than Dibor, right? Then we'll get to the modern questions. What about killing somebody via Alexa, right? We have all sorts all sorts of fun, right? All, all sorts of fun doing that if you want. Yeah. In practice, okay. in practice, it's not going to happen nowadays. If it did happen, okay, I'll deal with that one. Okay, I wasn't suggesting that you should just go ahead and kill somebody, right? If they're I was just saying using it as a criteria for deciding between between two patients. Right. So I think you know, so you have to go we, we didn't talk about the, the sugya I kept out, right? Is the Gemara if you're surrounded by bandits and they say, Give us give you right, give you right, give us one of you or we'll kill you. So one Girsa in the Rushalme says that you're allowed to give them somebody if he's already Chayev Misa Kesheva ben Bichri. Right? Sheva ben Bichri is Chayev Misa as a Marid de Malchus. Right, and that's the case the Gemara is actually talking about. Right, it's all machlokes. A few look Keshev ben Bichri, or only if Keshev ben Bichri is it only because Shev ben Bichri actually has been sentenced already. Maybe murder Malchus is different because the king's allowed to kill you without a sentence. Right, all all those sorts of fun. Right, so I, I could, I could have you know if I wanted to do that, I could have spent the whole you know we we could we could spend a whole other shir you know on Shev ben Bichri or two. Uh, I tried to keep that so get out. It doesn't seem you know, but you're right. 
you're right. Yes, we could we could do that. Okay, thanks. Uh, okay, other questions. All right, thank you again. Email me if you want to be part of the written uh, the written framework, and um, and I really enjoy I really really enjoyed um, learning with this group. I'm really glad people came. So even though I'm, I'm hoping to spend much more time writing over the next five weeks and preparing for SPM, uh, but I hope we'll find other occasions to learn. If not, in the next five weeks again. Uh, and also, you know, if you have time and you want to prepare for sure, so then we can talk about that. <laughs> we can talk about. Um, I think I'll probably password the SPM. Uh, share them live over the summer, but if people are going to prepare, I'm happy to let to give you the password. Okay, thank you.